Welcome to Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion and culture with the personalities that shape it. My guest this week is the acclaimed photographer, Eric Ray Davidson. There are many reasons why I wanted to have ERD on the podcast. For starters, he's one of my favorite photographers. Have you seen his work? He's shot covers for Vanity Fair, GQ, Esquire, you name it. He's a photographer with a unique connection to his talent, because as you'll hear, he's been on both sides of the camera, and yes, started at the bottom. Last but certainly not least, he's a dad, and a dad who's crushing it, and doing it and continuing to flourish in his career. Look, if you follow me online, you've probably seen that I recently became a dad, and I'm trying to figure this thing out. Can I still do the pod and be a dad? Can I still do anything and be a good dad? I'm not sure if any of you have ever wondered this thing, but I hope my talk with ERD gives you the same encouragement and excitement it gave me. We go deep on this one, folks. Let's do it. I like Instagram stories because they're they're less precious and you can put stuff on there. It also goes into this thing where I've become really into this uh, fatherhood and being a parent has affected me on such a profound level that I find myself unable to not share it because uh, it's brought such an incredible emotional, you know, new level to my life that I wasn't expecting. And I get so much joy from it. And I also, so I feel like, you know, projecting that thing because I think a lot of, you know, I work with Good Plus Foundation. I'm on like their fathership council. And a lot of that is about helping fathers who struggle to get into fatherhood as quickly as I did because a lot of people have a hard time with it because having a having a kid is very challenging and you feel like you're compromising a lot of things and you are compromising a lot of things forever but for me it had such an incredibly profound lifting across my entire life especially and 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 especially even as a creative because it it I don't know it did something to me and it made me better at my job which is not something I expected but also you know, I think you can have it both ways. And, you know, I do hear from people who watch my Instagram stories specific to my daughter, how much they enjoy seeing that and how, like we talked about, how there's this kind of idea that it's hard to balance both. Yeah. So that idea of balancing both for me is something that I feel now, like, I don't know, kind of a responsibility to project because you know because I am so fortunate and I have this like incredible career but the balance is so important and I think that if people see how much joy I have from that part of my life they can they can look at it and be like you know what maybe like if I really throw myself into this parenting thing I will get that kind of feeling out of it and it really is a repetition type thing like in the beginning it's really hard and very overwhelming and very exhausting. But the, kind of the more you do it, once the kid is like of a certain age, like when right. they're little six weeks old, they're, they're just blobs, man. They're just like, they're absolutely useless. Yeah. And they're a danger to themselves. Uh, you know, you're like, oh, are they breathing? Dude, <laughs> so we're done. There you yeah, go. Yeah, there we no, go. Oh, nice stopping um, by. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you already went there. But I, th- I think, you know, so one of the reasons, Mr. Eric Ray Davidson. First off, are you a, are you a three-name person? It's my full name, and I started using it kind of after I graduated college um, because I just liked the way it sounded better. It's uh, pretty legit. I found Eric Davidson to be like a little too bland and didn't stand out, and I just, I, you know, obviously the way my parents put my name together uh, was very intentional, and so I don't know. I just <laughs> like the true. way I just like the way it sounded, and it just kind of 
I'm and into I just, the triple name. I just went with it. I, I went. I started using it professionally when I took when I when I left uh, school at Art Center and took the job at Details Magazine. So that was um, that was uh, when I started using it. Um, the three names, and so when we named our daughter, uh, our daughter's name is Wilder Gray Davidson. So like we, we, you know, it was very like important that they all sort of like flowed and meshed together. Yeah. No, it's it's legit. <laughs> it's very dope. Um. So one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on this pod was for. One of the things, obviously, that you started off with and the fact that not only are you a creative, a photographer, a very successful creative and photographer, but also someone whom I really admire, especially considering the fact I just had a kid not too long ago, as someone who's able to do both and do both well. And I've had multiple people um, pull me aside and say, all right, well, now that you're a dad, you got to choose one. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. And, and, and we don't have to go like totally down that rabbit hole because it's it's all over the map but you know again like you're you're this person this who is also like a you know their own sort of celebrity photographer in there who's shooting these people and i mean just how you got to where you got is is pretty fantastic uh it's been very interesting to you know to be a 14 year old growing up in the suburbs of massachusetts and be like the photo nerd in a school and in a place that's ruled by like the varsity football team. You yeah. Know? Like, were you, uh, <clears throat> were you only photography? Were you a jock ever? Or what? Uh, I played soccer. Okay. I played baseball and then I stopped playing baseball and then I played soccer all the way through senior year and it was, I loved it. But you know, I grew up in a, like Wellesley, Massachusetts is like white picket fences and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was really in it with the photography like basically from middle school on. And I found this thing and I was like, this is incredible. And I think that like, it didn't really fit in like what was like considered like popular or cool in high school. But like, I always kind of thought, yeah, I think the upside on this is pretty good. So like, enjoy, you know, your illustrious high school football career and living <laughs> your best life. I think I'll, I think I'll be in pretty good shape. Uh, and, and, and I think like early on when you, when you start to kind of work and become successful, like, and when you've had a hard time, growing up and you've been bullied and picked on and like just overall kind of not just had to face a lot of that when you start to become successful you you in the beginning you're like i want to show people i want to show people and yeah you, you use that fire and it's important to have you know a bunch of different motivations um to do what you do but it all has to be centered around this around a passion for what you do right and so you have to you know when i was 14 i did pretty much see myself doing what i'm doing at this moment really um pretty close yeah i, I you know i, I was really upset like when i was you know in high school and stuff i was really obsessed with like rolling stone and i had like all the covers around my room and stuff like that and i always thought like magazines were this incredible thing and shooting magazine covers and like billboards and stuff like that because be, you shot a lot of magazine covers. I've shot Tons a lot of i've GQ, shot i've shot a of... lot i've shot a lot of magazine covers and that's you know if i'm doing an editorial assignment more very very much more often than not it's a cover right um and uh and, and i find that fascinating because it's the face it's the face of the thing that's seen on the newsstands that gets circulated the most that gets the most attention uh so i find that kind of uh, kind of a rush especially with the magazines that i shoot covers for like gq and and cosmo and stuff you know these are these are big brands and so yeah. it's very exciting to still see it out on newsstands um it's yeah and that's kind of that's well, kind of so, where it is now. So you're 14. You're in Wellesley, Massachusetts. Yeah. And obviously you make a, a few good decisions to get to where you're at. Yeah. What would you say were some of the biggest things 
So did you go to school for photography in general? I mean, was it the standard yeah, I, step? Yeah, I went, I don't know, I think it's a little bit different now, but like I'm 36. When I was in high school, like it was just kind of taken for granted that you were going to go to college. Mm-hmm. And I think things have changed a little bit where maybe it's people are evaluating it a little differently now. Right. Um, uh, but my dad went to RISD. And well. so he was always, he gave me my first camera. It's an Icon F3, which is great. I still have. Uh, he gave me the camera. He was always very supportive. And so I started looking at schools. I looked at SVA. I applied to SVA, Parsons, and Art Center in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. And I got into all three. And I toured them. And, you know, as you know, as attractive as New York was, I found the student body at Art Center in Pasadena to, to, to feel overall more competitive. And when I was 18, entering in, the average age of freshman was like, I don't know, like 25 and a half or 26 or something. Oh, wow. So I had people in my class that were in their 40s and stuff. It was more, it was, it's kind of geared more like a grad school. Right. You know, and I, and I liked that competitive environment. It was like no dorms and stuff, but not like a, not like a friendly place. (laughs) You're not like going to get a lot of positive uh, reinforcement uh, by and large. And I think that's pretty valuable because I, I certainly dealt with people in academia and college and other students and faculty that are that that can be so hostile towards you and i think like when you deal with really difficult people and really hostile people early on it's kind of the best thing to have happen because when i came out of school and dealt with the people that i dealt with there and then i came to work at Condé and asked like i i i never dealt with people as difficult as i did when i was in college and so like i came out with like really thick skin and i think that's kind of what it was i mean you know definitely you you go through times when you're like you know just starting to be a photographer and you're chasing work you just think like oh this is fucking crazy like right how am i gonna how am i gonna get there but you have to you have to have this like i don't know if it's like denial or you have to fake it for so long until you have to think that you're one step ahead of yourself or at least one big step in front of where you are at all times and keep chasing it and keep knowing that there's another step but keep thinking you're there but keep pushing yourself like it's you're just competing with yourself to be better than you were the day before. Right. But it sounds like, too, that some of the stuff you were saying that kind of helped you grow is also the, this competitive nature and what you're into. And, and you know, interesting, from other people that I've spoken to when they talk about college, they talk about college as, like, this camaraderie and that everyone is there to kind of lift each other up in some of the experiences that they're in. And for you, it sounds like it was definitely a little bit more <laughs> no, it was, competitive. It was not that. And I think that's actually, I think that's actually a good thing. I think anybody that, like, went to my school that had a really good time, probably didn't work hard enough. Uh, and I think that, you know, my thing was like, I'm going to go to the school, it's harder, and maybe it won't be as much fun as going to like school in New York and, and doing sure. it, but I want to be like in a better position when I'm 30. I want to like feel like I'm set up a little bit better. And so it was tough, but I think that that's the value of it is that, you know, you're in school and you can get this kind of different idea because you're coddled of what it's like when you go out there, but then you go out there and you're totally on your fucking own. Like yeah, there's nobody horrible. there. There's nobody there for you. And so you have to be, you have to be tenacious and you, and, and you have to support yourself and encourage yourself and develop these tools with dealing with people along the way that, you know, are doing their own thing and right. aren't like there to help you. And, 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 you know, and so you can start to get there. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> no, no, I hear you. Cause like, so I am one of those people who like, I kind of went to school, but then I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I came to New York. I yeah. was you know, 18, 19, uh, trying to play music. Yeah. Obviously you can tell I'm a very successful musician. Where did you move from? <laughs> St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And, um, Missouri. yeah, yeah. 
which a lot of people think is the South, and it's not the South. However, there is a, a, an amount of people in St. Louis yeah. that would say fit in some areas of the South. Yeah. But also there, there's some people who'd fit in New York. Yeah. But I digress. There's, when I was there, um, I was like, this sucks. I could go to college, but I don't, I want to be a rock star. I want to do this. So I come to New York and I got my ass kicked. I mean, I slept on an eight by seven floor with this cokehead roommate dude who is 54. His name's uh, Bill Ware. Shout out Bill Ware. <laughs> who, you know, one of the first nights was him, a guy named Roy Nathanson, and a woman named Debbie Harry. Of, Incredible. Of Blondie. Incredible. Uh, hanging out in our apartment because they were in this band together called the Jazz Passengers. And I freaked out and like cried. And, it, and I would say the reason why I'm just kind of like sharing so much this here. This was the first night? This was like the first week, oh like maybe God. the second or third night. Because um, I was like, what the, what the hell am I doing? Because I'm like here to try to play music like an idiot. So, um, but I just did not have any uh, expectation or any bit of understanding how cutthroat and competitive it would be. And I wasn't even trying to play music yet. I was just trying to live. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I think that having a hard, having a difficult time, a challenging time in high school and in college, did very much prepare me for the real working world being a freelance artist, which is such a crazy thing <laughs> to chase. And you really, I mean, you gotta be like it's a, a lot little, of 1099s, you man. Got, you gotta be a little fucking insane to do it. Yeah. And so it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And looking back on it, it was so, I just, well, let's, let's go on that. So you, you go to school. You obviously are in a competitive area. You yep. seem to do well there. And then did you jump straight to Conde in details? So basically, I was, I was assisting this guy, Paul Jasmine, in Los Angeles. And okay. I was, he was one of my teachers. But then I was also like doing a lot of production with him and like TAing for him and assisting for him. And then he, this photographer, came to give a talk. And, and I graduated. And then the guy who was based in New York actually hired me. So I moved here for that. Worked for that job for six months. As a, as a, as a first assistant. Yeah. Oh, and traveled assistant. and okay. stuff. Yeah. I did that for six months, and then it, it was enough. Sure. And uh, and I and I and I left that position, and I found uh, a, a a job listing on Media Bistro. Do people still use Media Bistro? Oh no. I mean, well, I'm sure people still yeah, do. Yeah, I found a, a job listing at Details Magazine on Media Bistro, and I emailed them, and I was like, "Hey, blah blah, I'm wor I, you know, I, I'm working working for this guy right now," and they were like, "Great, you want to come in for this interview?" And it was like a junior level position there. It was photo coordinator. And I went Ooh, in the coordinator. photo coordinator. Yeah, it's like some like <laughs> arbitrary combination of words um, that could mean anything. I went in there and I interviewed and I just like, you know, I'd, I'd produced, barely produced a photo shoot. I mean, I'd done production work and I'd assisted and I was, I kind of had the right attitude about it. And I kind of had an understanding of how things worked. And, you know, I got the job, I think, because I was really enthusiastic about it. And also, you know, it was it obviously like the lower level job, but I didn't have really any experience. And the woman who hired me, Judith Puckett Ranella, I think responded to my enthusiasm about it because I, because I've always had so much enthusiasm for this thing. And, you know, the magazine world, when I was growing up, when I was like in high school and stuff, I always thought magazines were awesome. And I always thought in my head, like, Oh, it'd be really cool to work in a magazine one day. And then I kind of forgot about that idea. And then, <laughs> and then, and then I was assisting and then, and then this job came up and I was like, wow, maybe I should do that. Like maybe I should get like a job at a magazine. Yeah. And it just kind of happened. And I started the job 
and I fucked up everything I touched for like six months. Like, and I almost got fired over and over and over again. And then, <laughs> wait, like, and then what, what's an example? Of uh, I don't know. Like, you know, book, a, book a daylight studio. And I'm like, cool. So I book a studio with a window, but that's not a daylight studio. Like daylight studios have like skylights and stuff like that. Oh, and like, okay. See, you know, I wouldn't have known shit like that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I was, but I was doing my best. Like I was, you know, fake until you make it. And I, you know, I was all in and it was, you know, starting production at the beginning is very overwhelming. And so you're kind of figuring out as you go along. And I almost got fired like a bunch of times, a bunch of times, a bunch of times. They stuck with me. And then I, and then I like, and then I think I really got it dialed in. And I was there, I, I think about a year and a half. Okay. And I got promoted to like associate photo editor, I think like 15, 15 or 20 seconds before I resigned. Uh, but it was like <laughs> in the works. But I loved it. I, I'll always be a photo editor. Like it's, it's ingrained inside of me. And it's where I started to learn about creative collaboration. And this idea of working in large groups of people and balancing out everybody's needs and wants and kind of hopes for every single project, as well as the political decisions that have to be made throughout it, you know, and, and, and watching those things happen in a corporate environment, but it's also tied to like making this art. So it's fascinating because like every artistic decision you make involves all of these kind of business decisions and all these people on the corporate side. Like you right. could be on set with two people. But you know, there's like 12 or 15 people like back at the office that are sure. somehow directly or indirectly involved with everything you do. So working at details was really the first chance I got to really see this kind of machine and be on client side. And, you know, I was, I was doing like a lot of the front of the book, which is the stuff that's in the front of the magazine, like a lot mm -hmm. of like younger talent, like a lot of younger photographers developing them. And, you know, little photos of this and that and like stuff, st you know, cool stuff and being able to find new young artists to hire. And it was fascinating. And, and, and to be involved in that process and then slowly work up to like bigger and bigger projects until I got to the point where I was like, you know, I think that I should, if I'm doing this, I, f I feel like I should do this. Like I'm handing these jobs out to people, but I think I can do these jobs. And so I, so I resigned and I, and I, and I left working and I started shooting the stuff that I was producing when I was there, except I was now producing it and shooting it. Oh, wow. For, for a qu quite a bit of time. Uh, so it was, a, it was a very smooth transition for me. Which is pretty rare in most, in most people's situations. I feel like if you're at a job, like say you're a magazine editor, a style editor, and you quit to be a stylist. Yeah. It's not that common for you to just jump into that other vertical. Yeah, it's, it's, pre it's pretty, it's, it's not very common. I think that, um, yeah, it's not. I think I was always, I, I never thought I would be there forever, but I loved it. I loved being a photo editor. I think it's fascinating. And my, my, my friends that I'm still very close with, including my friend Krista Prestek, who was the photo director at GQ, but now is at Apple, her and I started as cubicle mates at Details. Like we shared a cubicle. Oh, she that's was cool. One of the photo editors there, and so you know, and I still have very close relationships with people that are photo editors because this is such a fascinating thing to do to be involved in this collaborative process of creating art, and especially now in the way that the climate has changed, it's a very interesting time. But there's never been a higher demand for content. It's just right. about like what avenues it's created within. Right. You know, it's, it's a, it's, it's the golden age of content. Like there's just an insatiable need for it and somebody has to create it. It's true. I <laughs> and mean, certain people have to be the tastemakers and the people that curate it. So, you know, why not 
me, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, you talked a little bit about the business of how some of this stuff is done. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people have this, like, you know, everyone wants to be a creative director, everyone wants to be a stylist or a photographer, and a lot of people are like, oh, I know how to do it. I just will get a camera and I'll, you know, study photos of the sartorialist or something, which yeah. I wouldn't even recommend. Yeah. You know, like, I like Scott Schumann and stuff. It's just yeah. like, what you said, I think is one of the reasons why I think you're successful at it, is you have an understanding of the business and the wizard behind the curtain versus also just being someone who knows how to take a good photo. Yeah, you got to be really good at the other stuff bef way before you're taking really great photos. <laughs> like I always thought like I always thought for like a lot of the years that I was better at navigating like the the, the collaborative creative environment that I was than I was taking photos because I I've always been someone that's tried things a lot of different ways and I definitely like figured out how to do things the right way by doing them wrong for a really long time. Right. Like I failed so much. I just failed over and over and over and over again. And that's how I got to where I was. And I was never scared to fail. Like I was never like failing and something looked like shit. And then I stopped trying to fail. Like I, you have to actively try and fail <laughs> in a weird way. Like you not like sabotage yourself, but you have sure. to just, you have to find your way by taking chances and figuring things out. Um, if you want to kind of develop your own thing you know, that's I, the way that it was for me. But before I was really dialed in on the work that I was making and, and I'm like, I'm always working to get better all the time, but I still take chances all the time and I still shoot things different all the time. Yeah. And in the beginning in your career, that's a little tricky because people want you to be the guy that does that thing. <laughs> right. And they want you to be like very identifiable for that thing. And I was always like, I want to be the guy that does all those things. Like I want to, I want to shoot, like, you know, I want to do, GQ cover of Jimmy Kimmel one day and then the next day do a billboard cover of Travis Scott like a completely different and this was like back-to-back -back days I want to be able to have that kind of range in my work and then like have a Cosmo cover a few days later like I wanted to have my hands on all these different things and so having the strong relationships with people along the way helps them sort of understand that you are capable of doing all these things Right. Like, what would you say would be one of your first um, shoots that you did where you're like, okay, like, I'm, I'm doing the right thing now? Like, where you're on your own? <sighs> I mean, you know, get it, just, getting just getting hired to do anything in the beginning made it feel like, oh, well, this is great. Like, getting paid 500 bucks to do your first job is just like, oh, shit, this is amazing. Like, I'm actually getting paid to do this. I think just that, just that in itself made it feel like it was the right thing. Like, yeah. like you know, just co coming out of the gates and getting hired. And like, I would shoot anything at the beginning, anything like food, travel, uh, you know, kids, uh, you know, a, like a product of a, like a picture of a coffee cup tipping over upside down, <laughs> like anything, you know? And, and so I was just happy to be like getting hired to shoot. So I would shoot anything and I would, I would, I would travel for like pretty much anything back then. I just didn't care. I just wanted to make work. So yeah. I don't know that there was any one moment. Everything is, everything is an opportunity to learn. Everything's an opportunity to fail. And well, who's your first cover then? My first, my first cover was Lil Wayne for the cover of Vibe magazine. Okay. Which was really fascinating. And that was definitely like, I, it, was, it was probably a little bit before I was ready for a shoot of that scale, but it was fascinating. I flew down to Atlanta and he was awesome. And it was so much fun. And that was, yeah, that was like my first cover. What's that like? Because, again, you were talking about how you're involved in this entire creative process. It, yeah. 
was it like you show up and Lil Wayne's there and then you just click and leave? Uh, no, we had like good discussions about how we wanted to approach it from the beginning, but I was, I, you know, obviously much more junior than I'm more, I'm much more involved in like the direction of how things go now. Mm. Um, because I've been involved in these kind of productions for a long time and I have a good idea of the, what is a good way to approach each talent. Um, but in the beginning, you're not really like involved. They're just like they tell you what to do, and you go do it. You know what I mean? That right. one was a little bit like we were able to like throw some cool props in, and like I don't know, we had like heat fans and like a fog machine, and like we were in a warehouse, and there was, you know, he was like obviously smoking a bunch of blunts and shit. And, uh, <laughs> but he was great. He was great. He showed up like you know basically on time and gave oh, wow. me like a gave me like I think like six or seven hours, and was like you know super. He was there, you know, and I think that that was sort of. An exciting experience for me because I felt like it it went really it went really well, um, and that kind of started me on this road of like trying to figure out how to continue to improve communication with the people that you work with. Right. So, in, in terms of a standard uh, photo shoot now, how, yeah. many, how would you say how many people were on it, or like, what would you say is you have like twelve or fifteen? Yeah, people? I don't know. It depends on the job. Like, if it's mm. a, like you know, if it's a smaller editorial, it's not a cover. Uh, if there's a stylist, I don't know, like 10, 12 people. Right. But you can do jobs with 40 or 50 people, maybe a little bit more sometimes. Oh, uh, right. And you just, you just have to control the whole room. That's like using the force. That's, that's heavy. It's not even like I, I've, I've, made, I've made this statement before, but it's like not even a joke. You have to use the force to control everybody in the room. Yeah. But in a good way. You just got to keep everybody in a good mood. Well, there's, so the, there's something about you because you're definitely a very gregarious man. <laughs> like... I mean, you'd said before, I think, that you wanted to host your own TV show, your own talk show. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, like I, like, I very much enjoy talking about the process of what it is that I do and how I affect people. And I'm, I'm just, I'm so fascinated with it. The reason that I think that I still have so much kind of like fire inside of me for the thing that I do. And listen, I've only been doing it like a decade, maybe like 12 years or something. And that, that's, I guess that's like nothing, but I don't know. I, I'm that's still, pretty good. I'm still really excited about it because <laughs> I'm so fascinated about uh, uh, fascinated with the process of it and getting hired to create things and then like kind of taking pictures of someone and and, and showing them in a way that you know maybe they haven't seen or, or, or whatever but well, let's talk about like say the jimmy kimmel one because that was yeah. a pretty recent one yeah what so the process that that was a gq cover yes shoot yes and so how did you start that process we start with talking about you know when we need to shoot okay. where we need to shoot and kind of go from there and we get the location and where we're going to have to be and then what we're going to do with like the set design and stuff like that. So I'll talk to like my set designer and kick some ideas around with him. And then we'll, I'll go back to the, you know, everyone I'm dealing with the GQ and we'll have more creative conversations and kind of get like a, a framework going of how we want to approach it. And we'll talk about, you know, the fashion look at what we're going to shoot and the kind of personality we want to bring out. Um, although because my relationship is like basically a decade old with GQ, mm -hmm. it's a lot of shorthand and we know, like we have an idea of what we're trying to get from talent, like, and the energy and engagement that I'm always trying to get from talent. Uh, yeah, GQ is so, very, and I mean, I would say, especially your, your covers, yeah. they're never too serious. They're always <laughs> playful, you know, warm, but yeah, like, I, pretty you know, exciting at yeah, the same time. Yeah, I, you know, I... Do I take what I do seriously, but I don't take myself too seriously. Right. And I think that I, I, it's, ha it's hard for me to take serious people that take themselves too seriously. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm like, why don't you have a sense of humor about this? Like, this is an amazing thing. Like, can you enjoy yourself? Like, I don't like to take, you know, sad, moody photos because 
that's kind of not me. Yeah. You know, and I think black and white head down. Please. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's easy to do stuff because those things are very beautiful and some people do that really well. But sure. for me, it's like I have such an inclination to want to bring life to my subjects. And so that's just kind of a projection of me. And I always want to see an engagement and a real moment. Like, and I want to see people looking like they're having a really good time. Because, you know, from a subject's point of view, like having your photo taken can be a real fucking drag. And like everyone that's been in front of the camera a lot has had like all these terrible photo shoots where they're just bored and they're not getting enough direction and they're not having a good time. So I'm always like, oh. all right, like I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you experience. I want you to be like, that was like the most fun I've had. And, and I, and I was, I felt comfortable mm-hmm. and I was having these like real moments. And so you're just trying to create these real moments of joy, I guess. Right. Cause yeah. That's a great thing to project. I mean, there's a lot of shitty things going on all the time. And like, you know, like uh, I well, think yeah, you create a little bit of an escape from. Yeah, I think it, I world. think I, th- I, I like the idea of like the tone of my work to be aspirational. I don't think that like it's a bad thing to want to project a positive, like positive vibes. No, for I lack think of fantastic. a better word. Yeah. And like I. So I'm so I'm into that. I want people to be engaged. I don't want there to be energy. So that's sort of where I take things more often than not. And you can mix like more serious moments in, but there's sure. always got to be like a little bit of levity. Right. Or, or else I just want to see that connection. Well, so earlier you had talked about how like you're trying to push yourself and you're always looking for new ways, new avenues. What would you say are some of the things that you're trying to do now? <laughs> I mean, every, every outside of Instagram stories, <laughs> outside of Instagram <laughs> stories is so much fun. I just, I just, not, like, it's just, it doesn't feel serious to me. So I can, you know, post stupid, like really stupid stuff. Like sometimes I'm like, that's really stupid. I shouldn't post that. But then I, then I get over it really quick. Cause I'm like, it'll live there. Like, I, you know, well, so, I mean, that's one of the things that attracted me so much to you is because you could be like, so I've interacted with people whom are nowhere near like as accomplished or as cool as you per se. Right. But they're not nice. Like, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll put it this way. Like, they're yeah. total dicks. And yeah. they're really obnoxious. Yeah. And I think maybe some of it has to do with the, your Instagram stories and how, how you know, how you, you take your daughter to Disneyland all the time and do all these really fun, amazing she's things. She's been 13 times. <laughs> she's, she's two and a half. Yeah. She's been 12 times with me. She's been 13 times. So. Um, but it's just, it's like that, that, that fourth wall or whatever is totally broken by you know because of instagram and because like oh look he's a totally normal human guy and he for some reason he's constantly repping you know grady's cold brew and, and, and disneyland and croissants on saturdays yeah, and, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah 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 um i don't know i feel very very fortunate to to live the life that i live and uh you know i recognize how fortunate i am i mean you know to have this ability to have a career as a photographer and have this incredible kid and and, 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 you know, and a family that's close by and healthy. And, and so I, I feel very fortunate. So I feel like projecting that idea and I don't take myself too seriously, but I, but I do, I do want to project a, a, an idea of gratefulness for things that are around me and the opportunities that I have. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, what would be like a, a typical week for you? I mean, do you have, I, I, I'm not, so it's, please excuse my ignorance here. Like, do you have a set amount of photo shoots you have to hit a year? No. Is there? It's, compl- it's completely unpredictable. Okay. Uh, week to week, month to month. Uh, you have people that you work for a lot, but I have like a sh- really, really broad client list. Like, 
you know, and in, in, you know, in just in January, the stuff that came out, it was like GQ cover and Cosmo covers and like a Reebok campaign, uh, just to name a few things. And then I'm here this weekend for this uh, GQ Grammys project. And right. so it's always a lot of different things, but it's completely unpredictable, which is. That it, sounds kind of scary. It is scary. In the beginning, it's really scary because you're like, you just don't know when your next job is coming. I don't, I'm not scared of it anymore because I, I know that like if I continue to get better right. and work to improve myself and work to improve my uh, creative, collaborative brain, that it'll continue to come. And I continue to have strong relationships with the people that I create this stuff with because you don't create work on an island. And so the people that you work with you know, are, are, are just as important as you are in the creative process. And I think that a lot of photographers maybe sometimes make the decision, make the mistake of thinking that it has to be like just this very narrow point of view mm -hmm. from them. And I was never really interested in that. But no, you, you can't predict when jobs are coming. You have an idea of what kind of jobs are going to come up if they're bigger jobs, you know? So you like, you don't know what your, your quarter or whatever is going to look like. Not really. I look, I, I do a projection chart. So I know like what jobs are coming up, like when I'm on hold for them. And like, oh, okay. I'm not like holding and releasing for that many jobs. So like generally if I put it on a projection chart, it's a job that's probably going to happen for me. Um, and so I have like a projection chart and then I track it on a monthly basis and then mm -hmm. I track it on a yearly basis and I compare this year to last year to the year before that. And I can look at it by month to see like where I am like statistically, um, uh, so far as like what the numbers are and how many jobs there are. Right. I mean, so, like so I worked like less, I worked less, less physical days this last year, but I made more, but I did better than the year before. Right. And the jobs kept getting better. So, you know, you have to keep track of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause, like for someone who, so I have a regular job, which people for some reason didn't realize they, for, they, they thought I was like, you know, driving a Ferrari with the podcast. <laughs> hey man, happening. you do it for the grant, you know, put it out there. You can manipulate, you can manipulate the perception of yourself for yeah. the good and the bad yeah. on Instagram right now. I, and that, I actually love that because I feel like there's never been a better time to be able to control the perception. And, right. you know, I, that's what a lot of the stuff with me and my work and my splitting with my kid, you know, has, has to do with that. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'll buy some followers on what Devu me, whatever that New York Times is. And like, yeah, man, I'm a massive podcast. I got about like 10 yeah. million followers. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I spent 10 grand on it, but you know. What I mean. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was a good investment. Um, so one of the other things I want to talk about is, so we were talking about how content is everywhere. Yeah. And because of that, I feel, and you can answer this however you want. There is definitely a cheapening of content that's out there because... Cheapening in the quality of content. Yes. Yeah. Because there is so much demand for it and so many people that are doing it. And yeah. also, you even have publications, you know, I won't name any, it doesn't, doesn't matter, that are just having half their staff and then just getting a bunch of different freelancers and having these other contributors to do stuff for nothing, you know? And it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to take a full in, per in, per in perpetuity license of your photo. And here's 50 bucks. And people are like, oh, that's cool. I get the exposure. You, yeah. I mean, in the beginning, you don't really have a choice. I mean, I've, I, if, if the contract is really bad, and I've run into this sometimes with like some music stuff, like if it's really, really bad, I, if they won't like make a compromise on it, I walk. Yeah. But you can't do that in the beginning. Well, exactly. You can't, you have to, and it's gotten worse, but in the beginning, you don't have a choice really, you know, and that's part of it. I mean, you know, it used to be that like, you know, you would have to do like a lot of like indie editorial stuff and you still do that. But like, you know, doing an indie editorial when there's no budget, like that costs you like thousands and thousands of dollars, like five grand, six grand you have to invest. And so 
that's pretty bad too. Um, but yeah, there's no, you know, the, the upside of now is that there's a ton of ways to share your content. Yeah. Like that's never true. before it used to be like when, I mean, listen, when I was coming up a decade ago or 12 years ago or whatever, you would send printed mailers. Okay. With your photos, you would cold email people off of general lists that were available. And then you would try and shoot for magazines. And that was it. That was like how you got yourself exposed. Yeah. Now on Instagram, there's so many different outlets to, you know, find your way into it. And, you know, the real trick, and I get asked this question all the time by like people that follow me on Instagram and stuff like that. Like, what's like the secret? And really the secret these days is you just have to be prolific. You just have to be, and I think people have a lot of misunderstanding about that yeah, word. Yeah, say, it, what do you mean by that? It just means you have to create a lot. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you have to make much more than, say, you, like, one photo. Yeah, you have to just create all the time. And if you are, if you train yourself to be prolific, you will create a lot of work, you will put it out there, people will notice that you're creating a lot of work and be drawn to you because you're creating a lot of work and mm. then bring you more work to create. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, so... I, I try to connect this a little bit to, uh, I worked in the music industry for a long time, and I try to connect this a little bit to that and the fact that, so last night, right, Grammys, you have U2 up there, yeah. which yeah. I like Joshua Tree, but that's about it. And, um, you know, people talk about how there will never be another U2 again, because um, in terms of like talent, super big, you know, you have lots of people who are you know, just as talented as you two in terms of songwriting ability and things like that. But the beast and the business of how it is has evolved so much. Yeah. Like if you think of the last rock band, right? Like yeah. the last rock band, like, like super sta- band. Like stadium band. Yeah. Who, who would yeah. you say it is? The last like state, you know, it's I, basically like Coldplay. I feel, yeah, the, the most recent. I, I big wouldn't. Stadium I wouldn't. Band. My education in music is not what well, my education is in photography and content of the visual matter. So right. I probably couldn't comment in the most educated way on this. So right. I'll just avoid. <laughs> but so like Arcade Fire tried yeah. to do this. Yeah, and their stadium sales for their mo- their most recent tour yeah. just went down. Like really? no one. Yeah, I mean you'd go to see Arcade Fire at a stadium in like St. Louis, and half of it's empty. Yeah, it's like go play a club. Well, I think the music model has changed a lot too. Yeah. But, you know, in another way, like it's been a great opportunity. And, you know, someone like Chance the Rapper has really capitalized on the internet and SoundCloud and developing their own thing and developing the whole thing by himself. So there's a great opportunity for people to get their work out independently now that there really wasn't ever before. So it's true. It's, it's this mixed bag. Because, yeah, these shifts, these shifts yeah. in, in change. And like we're going through a lot of that in the editorial industry right now. Like it's, it's, wild times and you know <laughs> magazines are condensing and staffs are condensing and people are you know a little bit stressed about it mm-hmm. but i see it as a great opportunity to establish a new way of creating more content than before because right. there is more content demand than ever before yeah. people are insatiable yeah i mean look at netflix they pump out like a tv show a day yeah that's and, true and, and you know entertainment <laughs> entertainment and film it's like it's still incredibly successful and the demand is so high. So I, for me, it's a very exciting time. You know, I did watch what has happened to like the editorial industry over the past decade is pretty brutal. Um, yeah. And, but you have to adjust and adapt and be flexible and learn how to go with the flow. Right. Um, in these collaborative environments. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
would you do you ever see yourself jumping to another vertical like would you ever do film or? i've done i've 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 directed a few things uh, along the way. I've done some like videos, some videos GQ. I did a PSA pro commercial with Ryan Reynolds and Andy Bauer and the Parks Department. I just did a campaign where I shot the stills and the motion for that. So there's like a lot of like piggybacking on jobs. Mm -hmm. um, I find the video stuff to be fascinating and it's a total rush. And I love working with talent and I love you know managing in those situations. Like directing is just a is just a big management thing. Yeah. and a big leadership thing. And I, I obviously love that stuff. So as that stuff comes along and it does come along, I, I embrace it and I, and, and, I, and I do it, but I'm not like necessarily chasing it really hard. Right. I'm letting these kind of things come to me. Because right. I got the photography thing is pretty great. Yeah, I mean, you definitely know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I think you have like, a, you have a great eye. Like, it's you know, fun because of how the, how the pace of it is, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, each job like is relatively short in comparison to like any sort of motion film job so that that's nice it gives me the flexibility to you know have a lot of time with my daughter yeah well and obviously as i'm learning i think that's the most important yeah. thing yeah. is to find time yeah. with your kid yeah um this was awesome thank you so much Fantastic. for coming on yeah is there any other stuff you want to add or mention before we wrap i mean more like in in sort of like what it's like on set and being in the collaborative environment or what it's like working with talent i mean sometimes you have you know 10 15 seconds with talent are you yeah, serious? Yeah, of course. You got to get the shot. You know what I mean? <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Did you I mean, ever I have someone come in and it's like, all right, you have I, a minute. Get yeah, the shot. Yeah, I, I shot a photo of Keira Knightley in a hotel room in Toronto in like 30 seconds. Are you kidding? 42 seconds. And I love the photo. It's like one of my favorite photos I've taken. It's just her in this hotel room. I was doing this, I was doing this big package for, Toronto, for People Magazine with the Toronto Film Festival. And it was like a, like a lot of moving around and shooting. And you know, I was supposed to shoot her with Benedict Cumberbatch and she showed up like right before him. Yeah. And it's a lot of like, okay, you're going to be in this like blank hotel room, like make a cool photo. <laughs> Good luck. And she got there early and I looked in the room next to it and it was like full of like all the furniture from the other room, like flipped up on the bed. It looked like, like a tornado kind of had gone off in the room. And I was like, Hey, can I shoot you in this room? Like this really crowded, crazy space. And she was like, sure. And I, and like right before we started shooting photos, like someone brought her like a cup of tea and they gave her the cup of tea and I just like yelled a bunch of stuff like a, a weird direction because I, I tend to like overstimulate people on purpose. I give them too much direction. Okay. And so, I, and so I did that and I shot her for like 30 or 40 seconds and it's just like a very simple kind of strange moment in this hotel room and yeah, sometimes you have that amount of time. <laughs> so you have That's to, pretty incredible. You have to get there really fast. You have to connect with people and get them comfortable and trusting you enough in a really really quickly in a really condensed amount of time like you know when you meet talent you don't have like the whole day to get friends with them before you shoot you have like it's true you have like the first five minutes like you gotta you gotta like establish some sort of like you know rapport in the first five minutes and then you can carry that throughout the rest of the day but how do you make people feel comfortable in, in an environment that's like can make some people feel very uncomfortable even you know even actors and musicians sometimes are very uncomfortable and you have to you have to make them feel like you're taking care of them right wow that's the general gist of like what I do. And like, you know, I'm always trying to get better at that. It's, 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 it's about communication. You know, you really have to just be good at communicating and, and reading people and understanding what they're feeling and, and, and then just take care of them. That's awesome. Mr. Eric Ray Davidson. <laughs> Thanks. Man. Thanks again so much. It was good talking to you. Too. All right. Later. You've been listening to Blamo. Special thanks to my guest, Eric Ray Davidson, for coming on. Check out more of his work at ericraydavidson.com. Blamo's theme music is by Tanlines. 
If you like this episode, there's plenty more to dive into at blamopod.com. Listen to Blamo on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify now too. While you're at it, leave a review. It helps let others know and discover the show. Feel free to get in touch with me or give me a shout on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Or send me an email at jeremy at blamopod.com. Thanks a lot. We'll see you soon.